there's only about four hours of nice, warm enough weather to enjoy it. And I'm going to try to kill one of them right now. So let's see here. Um, do something a little different today. It'll be strangely familiar. Hey, it worketh. Can you see what I'm doing? Notice the colors are, are very um, inaccurate. I do not have red fingers, but this is messy up here. Let's see. Joel, is there any chance of showing the folks at home what we're doing? I heard that. Yep. Amen. Do y'all remember the first couple of Sundays back when we were all wearing masks the whole time? Wasn't that fun? Anyway, um, <laughs> that was terrible. I didn't mean to, I didn't think about people that might be wearing masks. Now, if you're wearing one, that's a good reason to do it. I know you need to, to be, we're glad you're here and you're taking necessary precautions. Um, but oh, that was so tough. Um, I was just going to see if everybody wanted to put a mask on real quick and no. Okay. Uh, so you are a, a group of Christians, right? And you have an individual spiritual life with God. You have an individual Christian life. You do, whether you know it or not. I mean, that's the deal is it's about what you choose to do with what God has told you. And nobody can choose for you to do what you're responsible to choose. And it really does help to know that because your choices are your choices and my choices are my choices and your mess ups are on you and my mess ups are on me. And that solves all kinds of problems that I might conjure in my own head about you making bad choices and me wondering if it's my fault, right? Or worse, you making good choices than me claiming credit for your success. See, that's just human dynamics. People are always trying to find a way to manipulate others in their sinfulness. I mean, we, we try to find a way to manipulate others to our advantage so that we can tell the story about ourselves that we want to believe. Oh, that's pretty heavy after communion, Pastor Dave. Come on, that's, that's not very, that's not very uh, commending of our sensibilities. Pretty rough. You individuals, though, are called to make individual choices before God that have to do with each other. We are a net that's been woven together. We're being woven all the time. Our hearts are supposed to be knit together in love. I think that makes a net. Knit us all together. And those bonds are supposed to be strengthening and not wearing thin and not fraying and not getting rotted. And, and they're supposed to really hang together for a reason. In group dynamics, group dynamics and sociology... People talk about in-groups and out-groups. That's a really messy picture of a bad outfit. A bad group. We'll call it the group. And the leader or leaders, the leadership is there. 
And so this is called the in-group. And this is called the out-group. And this out here, well, that's the, pla that's the protoplasm stuff. I don't know what that is. But anyway, that's the way uh, a lot of organizations work. And you may feel this way about Preston City Bible Church, especially if you're newer. Little bitty family church in little bitty Eastern Connecticut, Red Rover, Red Rover, let me in the circle. I can't break in. And so I'm on the out group. And the leadership is on the in group. And I know he is because um, uh, I don't get treated the way I want to be treated. I don't call the way I want to get called or whatever it is. You know, I, my favorite New England phrase that I've heard uh, repeatedly is pick up the phone. This is New English. I don't know this. this is, we don't say this in Texas. Pick up the phone means I'm not being treated the way I want to be treated. And everybody that says pick up the phone, I always want to say, do you pick up the phone? Like everybody can pick up the phone. It works both ways, right? Let's not all be passive and then bitter because we were not uh, stroked the way we want to be stroked. And beloved, I know you don't feel that way. You're tough New Englanders. Now, that's pretty messy. This, this group is on the way out, actually, of the group. That's just how people feel. They feel outside, marginalized, not part of things. And so they're, they're on the way out. It's a mess. It's group dynamics. I don't like playing favorites. I don't like clicks. I don't like the in-group, out-group model. I think it's garbage. Let's draw a picture of a church. I got the circle in 1 Corinthians 5 where you can remove someone from your church and turn them over to Satan. So inside the circle would be in the church and outside the circle would be out to Satan. That's 1 Corinthians 5. Check it out. That's a diagram of 1 Corinthians 5. Remove him from you and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he will be recovered, he'll be restored. And he was. That's 1 Corinthians 5. Now, this is the church. And I would say, who's at the center of the local church? Jesus. Thank you. Let's put the Lord Jesus there. We're English speakers. We'll put it in English. Jesus. I know there's a thing today you got to call him Yeshua. There's no place in the Bible where Jesus is called Yeshua that I know of, uh, at least that I, that I know of, because the New Testament is written in Greek and it's always Jesus. But anyway, um, so Jesus is in the center of your church, right? Okay. Well, let's say that there is this going on. This is like a fried egg at this point. Okay. Um, there are people here and there are people here. And now we're talking real in-groups and out-groups. This is how it is. This is the way we will self-sort. We do it. I, God doesn't want you to do this, but you will do this. What is going on with this person here in the out-group? What's the problem? What's the outer circle? What's, what's the deal? It isn't, do they know the right people? It isn't even, do they show up at the committee meetings? Okay. It's not. It's not the things that we in our flesh tend to think this is about. What is this, what is this about? If you make it about the Lord Jesus and a real biblical focus on him and a real spiritual life, then that inside outside thing, and, and I'm not even talking about people necessarily walking in fellowship, but it's related. I'm talking about seriousness about God's word. Inside this bubble, inside this inner circle, this, this fellowship with God really, there is God's word and its application. There is being saturated with the scriptures and so choosing to live them. It's being a hearer and a doer of the word. We'll do an H and a D. 
That's what's going on in the inner circle. That's what should be true in the inner circle of a church. And people that say, I will not hear, I will not do, choose to self-sort themselves out of the circle, out of the inner circle. And I'm talking about your fellowship with God. Now, meanwhile, leadership in a, in a local church, we're supposed to facilitate this. So, you can have this kind of model where Jesus isn't in the center. It's not about the word of God. It's about something else or something less. And it can be a mess. But that's not God's design. I think we need to be serious about the word. That's why I teach it. We need to be serious about living it. Now, what am I trying to do here? I have a very simple message for you. If you find yourself, you say, where do I fit in this, in this chart? Where am I? If you think you're here, right? And Preston City Bible Church is a, is a, is a Christ-centered church where we really are set up this way, where people self-sort to the Lord or not. If that's what's going on, if you find yourself here, what changes do you need to make? That's the whole point of the diagram. What would you need to do? This is not to get you to volunteer for mission service, although we have something for you. This is not for you to say, oh, I've, I, if I don't join and sign up, you can be signed up and doing all the work and running all the committees and not really in fellowship with God. It could be just dead works. But that's the question. What changes would I need to make to go from here as an outsider to this work? And it is the work to being a hearer and a doer, to discipling up, to being on mission. What changes would I need to make? And they begin with faith. They begin with knowing God and believing him. And so in believing him, obeying him, this is, this is it, really is it. Now, there are all kinds of ways we short circuit this. We make it about the people. Oh, I don't want to do anything because the people, the, the trouble, the, the personality conflicts, whatever. The distractions of the world. Oh, but I've got, to, I've got to work. The word of God has plenty of answers for this bad choice that people say, no, I'm going to be an outsider to the work, to the ministry of the gospel. And don't make any of those choices. These are eternal consequences we're talking about. And I'm only talking about believers. This is a, a group of Christians. If you have unbelievers in your inner thing, you're, you're probably not arranged like you need to be where it's focused on Christ and his word and his work. So what do we do? What, what do I need to do? Well, I need to be serious about the Bible and grow until I know from what he said, what he wants me to do. There are four or five questions we can answer every problem in life with, right? Who is God? Who am I? What has God done for me? What does God uh, want me to do? And what is God going to do with me? As we've said, these are all the key questions of applied theology in your life. And the biblical answers to these, if you embrace them, they're going to bring you into the work. Let me give you an example of why. Somebody's car is going off. <laughs> so um, it's probably you. So, okay. This is my problem. I come from a long line of not being able to, to do stuff if something else is going on. Um, easily distracted. Squirrel. All right. What's going to keep you from getting there, right? You're not going to focus on the Lord. You're going to focus on the people. You're not going to focus on the Lord and his work. You're going to focus on the culture. You're not going to focus on the Lord and his work. You're going to focus on politics. 
right? Um, politics gets pretty nasty. I mean, politics plus machine guns equals warfare, and uh, that's pretty bad. Um, you're going to focus on something less than the mission. And when Jesus says through his word, this is what I have for you. And trust me, it's good enough. You have a choice to make. Is it good enough? Is it what I want? Do I want to be what he wants me to be? Let me give you an example of why every one of you should be on the inside, not on the outside of that fried egg. The fried egg model of Christian ministry. Here's the reason you should be on the inside because you were born again with a spiritual gift. It's in your spiritual DNA, as I call it. You grow into the expression of that gift. The gift is for the edification of the body of Christ. It is for the work. We have it everywhere in the New Testament. It's exhibited by all the apostles. They're gifted as apostles to equip the body of Christ to know God and do his work. And, that, and that's true in, in a special sense in apostles, but that's true in a generic sense with all of us. Now, you've got a specific spiritual gift, and you're supposed to function like a protein within a cell Billion, millions of proteins working or billions, whatever in a cell to make the cell function properly. And if you function like you're supposed to, and everybody else does what they're supposed to, the cell works properly. And so your spiritual gift, like what's it for? It's for the edification of the body of Christ. Well, I don't want that. I want to live for me. I don't want to be used by God for the benefit of someone else. Sounds kind of dirty when you say it that way, but it's true when we're honest with ourselves probably don't want to look in the mirror and say that because that's really convicting, but think about it. I don't want to be for the praise of other. I don't want to submit myself for the benefit of the other. Okay. Well, that's the flesh. Let me tell you a little secret about reasoning. If God's highest exaltation for you is only through your denial of self to the benefit of others in Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, then it's to your eternal advantage to disregard self and humble yourself before God and be on mission for him, for others. It's to your eternal advantage. That's how you max out. The last are first, the first are last. You're racing, you're, you're, you're competing with each other for who gets, the, who gets to give the last piece of pizza to the other. You're in, you're in a fight to see how you can exalt the other person and you're competing with them and how how you exalt each other because you're not going to do it. You're going to give it to them. That's, that's the secret. And to be that way, you're going to have to trust in God. But that's the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2. And I think a group of Christians that are aware of this and committed to this and maturing in this thought, that's a very challenging thought that it's not about me, it's about God, it's about what he'll do for me. This, this, this thing is going to get bigger. This core thing is going to become bigger and the cultural Christianity right along. We go to church on Sunday thing. That's going to become really uncomfortable. And so that's, that's called being a convicting church. <laughs> it's uncomfortable to be just a ride along nod to God person in that church. I want to go to a church where there's not a lot of pressure by just being part of the group to serve. Well, we don't want you to feel pressure. We don't want you to feel guilt. We don't want you to feel anything but the privilege of being obligated before God to serve him in his service with and because of his grace. If you come up with a different answer besides the grace of God, you've missed the point, And we certainly don't want that to happen. Now, we're in Philippians chapter 2. Oh, 
I've been very clear, uh, transparent with you at times on this uh, epistle. It has changed my life when I first was able to teach it. It changed my world. Going from a, a focus on theology, which I love and have always loved, to a focus on the text and what the text does and my theological reasoning and my understanding of myself, there was a major transformation that happened for me as I'm reading how Paul is personally engaging the Philippians. He is building his theology for their, he's teaching it for the benefit of their performance and obedience to God. It's the whole basis for his rejoicing, make my joy complete by thinking the same thing in the Lord, that he's building a team of gospel uh, ministers and their various giftedness. He's building a team and encouraging a team and strengthening a team throughout this letter. And it uh, means that I'm going to have to take on a selfless thinking like Jesus thought and trusting his father and humbling himself all the way to the point of death. And so the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is something we should probably start every day with and think through that this is supposed to be my attitude. Don't hang on to my own claim on prominence or importance or glory, but disregard that in my hurry to serve my father and whatever he has for me, humbling myself to the point of even the death of the cross. For this reason also, he was also, he was highly exalted and given a name above every name that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. And I've truncated that a little bit, but the Christ him of his humbling himself to the point of the humiliation of the cross, it becomes a pattern for us and how we think about others. And that apparently is so important to God that the way he chose to direct Paul to present this was in encouraging the Philippians to care for one another. That's that the reason we know the kenosis passage about Jesus, one of the three high Christologies in the New Testament, is because of this command that they complete Paul's joy by being on mission, by being single in purpose and therefore unified on this work. And so because of the character of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus and how that's a pattern for us, Paul says this. So then my beloved life verse for me. So then my beloved, just as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Why did that change my life? If I know you're going to be there, I'm going to change the way I think about doing it because you're there and you care what, how it goes. If I know that you're involved, I'm going to iron my shirt. If I know that you're going to show up, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to have something to say. See, if I know that you're going to be there, then I'm going to care about this work in a way that I wouldn't care about it if you weren't there because I'm a relational being. Think about it. If the boss says, okay, guys, I'm not coming into work till 10 o'clock for the rest of the, of the week. Comes in Monday morning. I'm not coming in until 10 o'clock for the rest of the week. Make sure you guys are here, you know, at eight o'clock. How will you know if we're there? There's no clock. Well, just be here. It might change your approach a little bit to know that he's not going to be there. And what if he says, you know, the work needs to get done. Just do your best on whenever you get there. 
Okay, well, now I'm going to just figure out my own schedule. But if the boss is going to be there, now I care. Now I'm going to really think about it. And th- this is how we're, really, we're motivated. But Paul says, when I'm not there, you need to be this way. This is called integrity. This is where it doesn't matter what humans are involved because I'm concerned about what God wants. And now I'm taking on the thoughts and character of Jesus. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. It's more important that you be Christians and on mission when I'm not there. Because you're my epistle. He doesn't call them that in this letter, but he says that to the Corinthians. You're my epistle. You're the ones that I'm communicating through. Since I can't be there, now you have to be there. Your Christian integrity is not just about you getting a good outcome in the judgment seat of Christ. It is about that. But it's also about the effect, the impact of your life on others. So Paul can't be there, so you have, to, you have to toe the line even more. Redouble your efforts. He's not here with us now either. But here's the command. With fear and trembling, your own salvation, literally, be working out. It's a go-on, continuing lifelong process of sanctification it's living out what's true in your position in christ you're in christ so live accordingly it's the same thing he said um, when he said um, to live as citizens of of the gospel basically to conduct yourselves uh, according to your position your state a great command of scripture that is a heavy load Now, Paul says you're to be working out, not working for. You're saved by grace through faith. And so what is this work, works business? It is the living it out, living out my position. And we talked about that in terms of fellowship and the righteousness of God. But now I'm still like, I'm still kind of flummoxed. I love that word. It's almost like catacorner. There's some good words in English that are just fun. Flummoxed. I'm cattywampus about this. Okay. Why? Because I can't, because I know me, I, I let myself down and, and, and uh, it helps if other people are involved because then I'm more, more likely to, to, to do better work, but I just, I dropped the ball. I'm not a good person. I'm not, I'm not all that. I mean, and uh, I'm not trying to be an example for you in acknowledging that, except that, well, we do need to acknowledge that. So what am I saying? Well, I need an explanation, Paul. How can I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? I got the fear and trembling part down because I'm broken. So how am I going to do this working out of salvation business or living out God's righteousness? I, th- I believe in an experience. Well, explanatory for, for God is the one working. He's working in you. I think that's resident in you working. That means indwelling of, of the spirit in you, the abiding of the father and the son as, as you obey him. Working in you both for the wanting and the doing for the good, for the good pleasure, God's good pleasure. So God, okay, so now he's on the hook. I can't is now no longer an option. The I can't doesn't apply. Don't, don't even try it in verse 13 because God is the one in you doing it. So I can't, well, sorry, you're not in charge of I can or I can't. He, he's, he says you can because God can do it in you. Can I say it this way? Anything God wants me to accomplish, I am infinitely capable of accomplishing because of the omnipotence of God that works within me. Is that not what he's saying? God is the one working in you, both to want and to do what pleases him. There's nothing God wants from you that he can't get out of you if you'll walk in dependence on the power supply 
by the Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is awesome, and it's so vital to your Christian life. You are not going to do it in your own energy. It's going to be the power of God working in you, and that requires your faith, but it also requires your choosing. It doesn't say that he chooses in you. It says he equips you to want, and you choose, and then he equips you to do, and you choose, and I want to do it, so I make that step, and I choose to want it, and he equips me for that. And then I choose to do it, and I execute, and he equips me for that. And that's the power of God working in you, and it is the operational spiritual life. It is what God is in you with his word to accomplish. Now, let's see how does humility work in us. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Not allowed. Not allowed to complain and dispute and dispute and complain and grumble and grumble. Christians like to complain. In the army, I, I was told uh, at, at a very important point in my development that um, American soldiers are, uh, are not happy unless they're complaining. And um, that's how you know they're healthy and they're well-fed if they're complaining. And um, so, but that's the way the world is. But Paul says that's not the way the Christian is. Do all things without complaining and disputing. This is something that I kind of, I was reading the Bible, studying the Bible. I was expecting Christianity out of unbelievers at times as a young man. You should expect the world to be doing what the world does. You shouldn't stand in judgment, but you do let the light shine and tell the truth. God stands in judgment. And Jesus Christ was judged for their sins. And you're an advocate of that grace to, the, to, a, to a lost world. Speaking of which, so that you'll be blameless and pure. I have another way I want to show this. How we proceed as a Christian, do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? Paul tells you why. It's important. It's kind of reverse engineered, but we know the reason why, because of what he says next. Do all things without grumbling. Why? Why would I not complain? So that you will be blameless and pure children of God, unblemished in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world. Let's draw a circle around that. So you'll be God's witnesses so that you will bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a grumbler and a complainer, you cannot do this. You cannot be unblemished in the world. You act like the world. If you're a grumbler and complainer, your mouth is full of garbage so that you can't speak the true words of life and the grace of God in the gospel. And so we have to commit to this. This is a command from the apostle Paul that's binding upon us, really from the Lord Jesus. We don't go about grumbling and complaining. Do you have a model in your spiritual life for you that, that did this? I mean, we don't hear much in the story of Paul. I mean, we have Paul and Acts chained uh, to Silas and imprisoned in, prison in uh, Philippi, Acts 16. And what do they do when they open their mouths after being beaten and skinned alive and chained and left to rot in the jail all night? What do they do? Well, they start whining and whimpering about their horrible condition, how bad it hurts. It hurts, it hurts. They don't say that. They sing hymns of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ all night. They sing and make melody in their hearts to the Lord. And they honor God and all the people in the prison hear them singing praises to God. Possibly some of the Philippians 2, 6 through 11, Christ hymn. But they're singing God's praises all night so that when the earthquake comes, everyone's prepared to hear the words of life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Acts 16, 31. 
See, they, they were on mission, and sometimes you and I are on mission. We think about it. Don't complain. Just hold your tongue until you have something glorifying to God to say. It's very helpful. But the example that I'm thinking of, though, is in 1 Peter chapter one, or chapter 2, verse 21 and following. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin or was any deceit found in his mouth, while being reviled, that's verbally accosted in his sufferings. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. How are you going to avoid that tendency that creeps in? Everyone's doing it. So you jump in and start complaining. You're going to keep entrusting yourself to God. You're going to keep trusting in God. Oh yeah, I, I got a mission here. It's a mission that I need to be thinking about. My mouth is taken. It needs to be reserved for the words of life. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you're healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. How did he claim that, that status as shepherd and guardian of your soul? By the way, shepherd is pastor, poimane, and guardian is overseer. The, this question of leadership is settled. The, the leadership in the body of Christ is Jesus. He's the great shepherd and guardian of our souls. Now, how did he get that status? He controlled his tongue. He entrusted himself to his father and he did his job and it hurt. And there's an analog for you. There's an analogy for you in the spiritual life. Not that you're going to die for someone's sins, but in the gospel ministry, you will suffer persecution so that some can hear the gospel. So some can come to Christ. But the reason we do all things, the reason we guard our tongues is so that we have standing. We have moral standing to say something for Christ. And we shine as lights in the world. This word world is cosmos. Some translations suggest stars in the universe, stars in the night sky, that there's a great darkness and then we shine as lights. I'm not sure that that's right. Cosmos, I think, is more referring to the world system that has everyone deceived and blindfolded and you shine through that with the truth. In verse 16, how do we shine as lights in the world? I already know the answer because I've read verse 16, but this is, this is the logic of his reasoning. How do we shine his lights in the world? By holding fast the word of life. Oh, it's not just me showing up. Hey, everybody did press my slacks. Aren't you glad? That's not, that's not how you shine his lights. You hold fast the word of life. Now, what's the word of life? Well, it is the living word is a possible uh, translation giving the Greek idiom. And it is either the word who became flesh is God's self-revelation in Christ, or it is the word that the apostles give us from him, which is alive and powerful as well in Hebrews 4, 12. It is God's self-revelation. The word of life is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ through his person and his words through the apostles. It is the whole revelation project, the whole project of God's self-disclosure. And that's our focus, Jesus Christ and what he's given us in 66 books of scripture. We hold fast the word of life and why. There's a second why. The first one was so that we can shine his lights by holding fast the word of life. But the second reason has to do with your personal relationship to Paul, Philippians. 
so that the minister who is equipping you has joy and a good outcome at the judgment seat of Christ. He says it this way, toward the goal of the boast, literally, toward the goal of the boast. I want to have a boast in you at the coming of Christ. For my advantage, it's, it's in the dative of advantage, um, in, the, uh, in an emphatic position toward the goal of the boast for my advantage on the day of Christ. And here's the boast that Paul has. And I put it in purple. The boast he, he references in verse, uh, the beginning of verse 16. And then he tells you what the boast is. That I did not run in vain and I did not labor in vain. So that, you know, th there's a personal effect that happens to me when you don't grumble and complain, but you shine as lights in the world by holding fast to the word of life. Here's what happens. That's a picture of successful discipleship. You're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, able to make disciples, which is the task. And that's what he, he's equipping the Philippians throughout this. Remember, this is, this is mature stuff. This is the work that you're being groomed and raised and matured into doing. You Philippians, by you shining forth the truth, by holding fast the word of life, I get the boast I want to have at the Bema, at the judgment seat of Christ, at the coming of Christ, the day of Christ, he says. And here, that's the goal, the second reason why I want to see this successful attitude, not bad attitude, but humble and not complaining, but sharing Christ with a world that hates you, that Paul can say, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And it's interesting that he, um, it's, it's all very explicit. A lot of times there'll be a shorthand, but he says, I did not run in vain and I did not labor in vain. Let's talk about vanity of works and the success and um, ambition and what we're going for in life. I'm an ambitious person. I ambitiously sprint through life. I do. That's how I'm made. I sprint and then I rest and then I sprint again. And so if I was to run a marathon, it would be a mess. It would be, it would kill me. But I sprint. I do. I sprint and I, I make little chunks. I make little waypoints along the way and I sprint to the waypoint and then I sprint to the waypoint and sprint to the, and it's just how, and so a long distance race for me, that's how I'm made. I, I get intense and I focus in and maybe you work that way. Maybe you're more of a plugger. Maybe, maybe that you don't sprint as much, but you just keep long, slow distance, keep going. So the, I want to say I'm kind of like the tortoise and the hare, but I'm just getting there and then the tortoise eventually, and then I go and then the tortoise. And so we kind of end up together. I'm not the guy sleeping when the tortoise finally wins the race. But, but staying on mission, for me, plugging is a series of sprints. That's what I'm trying to say. One step at a time, one sprint at a time, just give it all you got and, and get to the next thing. This was even true in the Army Physical Fitness uh, two-mile run. I would always sprint the last quarter mile at least because I still had it. I was like, what's left? Let's give it all. Let's use it all up and... and uh, I usually did okay. Give me a couple more seconds if I sprint at the last part of the race, last part of the two-mile run. I, yeah, I used to could run two-mile run and sprint at the end. Anyway, uh, those are the days. So, so we're in this race. We're, um, we're going through life. We're trying to figure out uh, what is the significance and value of my life and value of my time. And if you're the kind of person that's organized with your life, you're looking at yourself, you're checking yourself, you're looking for uh, performance objectives and performance criteria and successful measures. And how am I doing? You're evaluating your progress as you go. But the apostle Paul is not able to make the assessment of true success unless he sees those that he's ministering to advance. And then he really doesn't know in this verse, he really doesn't know if his efforts have been successful until 
the day of Christ. What I'm trying to say is, yes, you should self-evaluate and, uh, and self-account and all that. That's valuable. But only to the extent that you're evaluating with the character and standards of Jesus. What does he want for you? And for Jesus to say, well done, for Paul, for his efforts to have success, it turns out that the Philippians need to be on mission. I don't know of another way to say this. Paul's boast that he successfully ran the race is that they are shining as lights in the dark world. See the burden of the gospel ministry? Now, I don't think of Pastor Dave. I mean, I feel this with you. You're Philippians. I'm Paul. I'm, I'm not Paul, but I'm just saying I'll do till he shows up, right? Um, I've got to lead you and teach you the word and equip you for the ministry of the gospel and all this like Paul's doing. And I think of you as Philippians. So I've got a leadership role and you've got a followership role in a sense. And so think about the burden I feel. I want to have a good outcome at the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says his boast is that they are shining forth as lights in a dark world. That he didn't run in vain. He didn't waste his time in his efforts on their account because there was actual success and effectiveness. That's a pretty heavy burden. Well, forget about me. The barn swifts are back. We have to get the, the bird stick back on. Th forget about me as the, the apostle, you know, you the Philippians. Think about you as the gospel minister, as the person with the spiritual gift and a, and a mission God has for you. Think about your spiritual life and how your outcome at the judgment seat of Christ is good when you say, I didn't run in vain, I didn't labor in vain. Let the pressure rest on you like it does on Paul because the whole Christian ministry is example and you take on the example of the leader and then they take on and then someone follows you and takes on your example. And that's, the, that's always how it is in disciple making. So t let this burden rest on you. How is your race not in vain? Maybe you are involved in gospel efforts that are not successful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, build with the right materials, gold, silver, precious stones. That'd be the word of God, not with the bad materials, the wood, hay, and stubble of the eh, church growth movement, modern, uh, modern marketing techniques, and all the things that the world proposes that they're trying to sell a product and get numbers and, and have very little spiritual uh, advance. This is awesome when you apply what Paul is doing here about his progress, depending on the Philippians, when you think about this with yourself. I was challenged in seminary to never go past the allotted time in, in uh, preaching a message, but I have, so here we are. But I was challenged in seminary by, um, by one of my evangelism professors, a guy named Douglas Cecil, Dr. Doug Cecil, totally recommend his book. I think it's Seven Principles of Evangelistic Life. Excellent book on thinking through how to live in the gospel ministry, in whatever you're doing. We ought to read it as a church family. Douglas sees, ought to get him up here and, and do a talk on it. Does hospital chaplaincy in the Dallas area. Shares Christ with people all the time. It's an awesome guy. He was one of my seminary professors in a course on evangelism. And he said, you know, when people say they share Christ by their witness, by their example, but they don't like to tell people. I mean, I don't preach to people, but I show them with my life. You know, like as in not, not evangelizing people, but just, you know, I'm, I'm just nice. Like that's going to share the gospel. And his point was you haven't shared the gospel till you've shared the gospel. You do need the life context for sharing the gospel, but you haven't done it till you've said it, right? That's true. We haven't done it till we said it. Guess what? He said he had a really great statement that stuck with me before I even understood it. He said, where are your Thessalonians? That's what he asked the seminary kids. 
that say that they do this witness of life. I, I don't really share Christ in, in the way, you know, preaching. I just tell people by how, my, how I live. They say, okay, where are your Thessalonians? Where's the life? Where are those that have caught fire with your example and they're following through with that example? Right? It's a great question because if you don't have any Thessalonians, then apparently you're not doing that. <laughs> Doug Cecil in the seven principles of an evangelistic life. The reason why you want to hold fast the word of life and shine his lights in the world is because you want Paul to have his boast. But here's where for me to live is Christ. And this is where we're going to close. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, all one word, I am being poured out as a drink offering is one word in Greek. Even if I'm being poured out upon a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I believe that this is a nominal hendiades that means the sacrifice, which is the service of your faithfulness, of your performance as Christians that I'm equipping you for in context. The sacrifice, which is the service of your faithfulness and carrying forth what God has for you. That's what he's been talking about throughout the whole letter. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, a libation offering, going back to the Levitical offerings where there'd be a libation poured on a whole burnt offering, that their life is a sacrifice to God as they're serving God in their faithfulness and their obedience to God. Okay. Even if that's my, if I'm, be, if I'm going to die in this imprisonment, as he's already talked about, then I rejoice. What? You're happy that you're going to die? Yeah, because th my life is then counting for the gospel, which is what God wants. He wants me to do these works that he's prepared beforehand. And I share my joy together with all of you. And in the same way also, you rejoice. Second person, plural, present, active, imperative. You share my joy. You, you rejoice. And share your joy together with me. If I'm going to die for this gospel ministry, then let's rejoice about it. I'll rejoice because it's what I'm here for. Now, I don't know what the specific mission work is going to end up getting me martyred. But as long as I'm on mission and God is directing my steps, I don't care. I'll rejoice at the privilege of serving God this way. That's right, Christians. We're being called to live our whole lives for the Lord Jesus. And if called upon to live our lives for the Lord Jesus in one moment, of a witness of death. That's what Paul's talking about. Even if I'm going to die for me to live is Christ and to die is gain the motto of Philippians 121. Our father, we love you and thank you for this incredible privilege of being part of your gospel ministry. There may be people here today, God, who do not believe in your son, who have not understood the, the words of life or the clear gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you'll make it clear in the words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That what we must do is trust in him and forsake any other claim to righteousness. We must repent of any arrogance, any idea that we in our own goodness, our own self-righteousness are uh, saving ourselves. But to trust radically only in the Lord Jesus that he died for our sins and rose from the dead as we proclaimed today through the Lord's table. Father, it is an incredible privilege that you keep showing us these things about yourself, about your son. Today, perhaps in the, in the focus this morning on the word, we have some attention to your son, some occupation with Jesus Christ. Father, build that in us, strengthen us to be that kind of believer that we're focused on your son and on your objectives. Father, to your glory, to your praise, let us be. We pray it in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen.